everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Hello, Naomi, and this is Ian Rowe, also a senior fellow at AEI. We are excited to be joined by our friend Marie Cohen. She is a child advocate, a researcher, and a policy analyst. Actually, it has this amazing blog that I'm always tweeting from called Child Welfare Monitor that I highly recommend to all of you, where she does just extensive analysis of all sorts of cases in child welfare and really thinks hard about the statistics. She has amazing graphics. I mean, and it requires so much work. So, and we were lucky enough at AEI to get her to write a paper for us about a program called Birth Match. So welcome, Marie. We're excited to talk to you about this today. I'm excited too. And you have made my day. Nobody has ever said I had amazing graphics before. Oh, my yeah. daughter's visiting. I'm going to tell her because she'll be shocked. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's hard to, it's hard to visualize some of this data and you, you make it look easy. So we, oh. we appreciate that. But so why don't we, we start from the beginning, Marie, um, tell us what birth match is, because as we were talking about it earlier, the title of this program does not actually really convey what it actually does. Yes, that's right. And um, yeah, it gives rise to if you had to guess what it was, you would probably never come up with the actual thing that it is, which is it's really just a process, really, where whereby um, it, it requires a computer algorithm. There's no other way to do this. So it didn't exist before we had such things. And it just is a process whereby when there's a new birth, the data on that birth, the data about the parents is matched with data about their history regarding child maltreatment. So it could be history um, from the child welfare system, most commonly. So whether they were found to have, well, in general, more often than not, whether they had their parental rights terminated. And it could be some of the programs also use court data on whether they were convicted of killing a child or maybe other offenses against children, depending on on the state. So and children, not just within their own family, children, any child at all, you know, Almost. Oh, that's a really good question. Why did you have to ask me that? Because definitely with the, the child welfare data is definitely only their own children, because that that's the only way it would be in the system. But the criminal data, I guess, would include that. Yeah. Yeah. If there if there was a criminal, if there was okay. criminal data. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which makes it sort of more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's kind of combined, it's putting together, it's really matching data from two different systems, um, you know, which is something we can we can do now. So that's that's all it is. And who gets notified with that information? So the way it works, the the actual um, so it's always like it goes back and forth. The child welfare agency, which is normally, you know, it has different names, but it's usually a division. It's usually called Department of Children and Families or it may be a division of that. It's usually the child protection part of the Children and Families Agency, and it's the people who go out and investigate reports of abuse and neglect. So, um, you know, we have child abuse hotlines. So it usually goes to that same, the part that has the hotline. So it, it becomes like another report. The child welfare system has to submit 
and or the courts have to submit to the public health agency that records birth births. They submit lists or, you know, to that agency of who has had their rights terminated or the courts will submit who has um, been convicted of such a crime against a child. Then the public health agency keeps this list and matches all births against it. And then when a match comes up, it then sometimes automatically or sometimes they have to inform them, but it, it comes back to the child welfare agency saying you have a match. And then they they're depending on how their program works, they will investigate that. They will do something regarding that family. It may not be an investigation. It may be something called an assessment, but they'll they'll do something. So just to clarify, I mean, so, you know, we want to find out um, the, the idea is here that there are parents who we think might pose a threat to children. And we find out that they're having another child, that they're about to go home from the hospital with an infant. And as a kind of public health slash child protection question, we are concerned about the welfare of that infant that they are about to take home. And so our our child protective services are alerted uh, that maybe they should do something. So tell us now the the program doesn't exist in every state. It's not a federal program. It just exists right. in a few states. What are what are the range of responses that you could have um, if you were to find out about such a parent and were concerned uh, about that child going home with that parent? So in most of the states, there are only five states. Okay that have this program. And in three of the states, they do an investigation just like any other call into the hotline. But in Maryland, it's um, a little bit less than an investigation. It's an, they call it an assessment. And it's not quite as detailed, like in an investigation, you have to talk to other people, certain, a whole list of people that they call collateral contacts that they don't have to do in Maryland. Maryland, it's voluntary and the family can refuse. And then um, they're instructed to close the case. The worker is instructed to close the case unless they already have reason to believe that the child is in danger. But just having the birth match isn't is clearly not enough. But then when when I started thinking about this carefully, I also realized that actually um, even an investigation of Families don't know this, but I shouldn't say, but they can, you know, they can also not let the worker in, although there are ways that the worker can still go to the hospital and all that. So it's it's somewhat more strict in the states that are doing an investigation. And in um, in in Missouri, they're doing a newborn crisis assessment, which I think might be actually more involved than a regular investigation because they have a special kind of investigation that is um, for newborns. And until birth, they just started birth match. And before that, the newborn crisis assessment was used when somebody would call in from the hospital saying, we're really worried about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so they using the same thing, which makes sense. So, so, and then the other three states, Michigan, Minnesota, and Texas use a regular investigation. Fascinating. So is it possible? So the, the person who's just had a child who may have had their rights terminated with a previous child of their own or potentially had done something is the first time that they learned that their a birth match has been done on their child is the first time that they learn about that when Child Protective Services shows up their, shows up at their door to say, we identified a birth match and we're investigating, or are they notified in some other way? That, that would probably be it because it's not a very widely publicized program. So it's not likely that, that they would have heard that this is happening until that happens, right? It's also possible 
that a woman may have had a child and she may not have had rights terminated, but the father could have, it sounds like, right? And that gets really complicated because first of all, a lot of fathers are not on the birth certificate. So if they're not on the birth certificate, they're not matched at all, period. Okay, so that's a huge um, hole in these programs has child welfare involvement, something like 40% or something of the fathers aren't on the birth certificate. So it's a lot. And then there's also the issue of what if there's a different man living in the family who's not the father of these children, of, of this child, and he's done something, he's killed or injured or had his rights terminated to another child. That won't show up either. Right. Nobody knows that he's right. living with this child. So it is definitely limited when it comes to the dads. It's yeah, yeah. If yeah. the dad, if that, if that dad is still there with the mom, then yes, then it'll pop up, but but not if he's not. Yeah. But it's it's true. Even states that don't have birth match, um, sometimes this is done in a very informal way. So so you and I have both talked to people, for instance, who have told us stories about, you know, like a hospital will remember a fatality or child fatality or something like that. And they'll remember the mother um, and they will call authorities just because of their of their concern. Or there are also situations where it's not, you know, it's unfortunately not uncommon sometimes where there has been a substantiated serious abuse or a a high level of neglect going on where a mother would actually choose to give birth in another state because she is actually worried about the authorities. So, um, you know, kind of kind of following up uh, and and she actually doesn't want to let people know um, that she is having another child because she is widely known to the authorities and that. State. So so there are definitely, you know, these circumstances and we should specify like, you know, these are there's a very high bar here to be on these databases. I mean, you know, for for parental rights to be terminated or for a, a child fatality to have occurred. It's not just, you know, someone once called a hotline about you because they right. saw you, you know, letting your kid walk in the park by themselves. Like there there has to have been something pretty serious to have gone on in order for you to make it onto this list. That's right. I mean, um, Minnesota probably has the broadest range and because they actually have in their computer system, the child protective services workers actually class classify the severity. So uh, the severity of the neglect or abuse. So they actually everyone who was on the most severe category will um, get matched, still pretty darn severe, but it it doesn't have to be a termination of parental rights or a crime, you know? So they, Michigan is kind of similar, except that in Michigan, it's kind of left up to the worker to manually add a person to the birth match list. If they say, oh my God, this person did this horrible thing, but they're not going to get their rights terminated. They're not going to be um, charged in court. So I'm going to manually add them. Of course, they don't keep data. We have no idea if anyone ever does this manually adds people or not. But but those are. Yeah. So so definitely the bar is very high. Yeah. Yeah. So I would imagine some of our listeners are listening to this and thinking, wow, this could be a really effective way to prevent abuse from occurring or or and it also might be a violation of civil liberties right there was a great film many years ago with tom cruise called minority report where these you know these precog precognitions where basically the police were able to identify people before 
they committed a crime. And even in Chicago, actually, a few years ago, the police department started developing these profiles mm. of people in certain neighborhoods that they said you are likely either to become a victim or a perpetrator of crime. And it faced a lot of opposition. So I'm similar. I'm, I'm curious if there's ever been that kind of concern about birth match, because even if someone calls Child Protective Services to express a concern, presumably that's because they believe something is happening to an existing child and you want it to be investigated. This, there's no evidence of the particular newborn. So I'm just curious, how does that play from a civil liberties perspective? Well, it definitely raises concerns, and it's, and and that's one reason that it hasn't been you know it hasn't been adopted by more places. But in general, first of all, it's just in general, it's just an investigate. You know, it's not nobody's going to be forced to have services. And in some of the legislation, they specifically say this, like in Missouri, they say the services will be voluntary. In Maryland, the whole investigate the assessment is voluntary, so they can say, and that I think that was done because of those mm-hmm. concerns. But again, this is the prospective thinking that you were talking about. But the best indicator that a child will be abused or neglected, or at least that the child will be reported to protective services, is whether they were reported before. Right. Sure, sure. So it's like Naomi's beautiful title, "Learning from the Past." I mean, you know, it seems it seems to to me that people who have done something this serious to a child just need to accept that consequence that to protect the child that this is this is something i mean when you've done something that bad that this is just you know a consequence that's part yeah. of the consequence it, it, it's like a it's like a, a child predator who has to notify yeah the right, sex the abuse and, registries yeah yeah and you want to get a job as a preschool teacher um, you know, this is going to be on your record. And, you know, and, and we 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 think that that tells us something about your qualifications to be in this particular setting. Yeah. Powerful exactly. rationale. Marie, I wanted to to sort of ask you. So you you mentioned, you know, obviously this is this uh, program has only been adopted in five states. And I know you had a lot of trouble just even getting data on the program, even for some of the states that have adopted it fairly recently. And so obviously, from a policy perspective, that's kind of annoying because we want to know, you know, if if this if the states are sort of supposed to be these laboratories, we want to know if it's successful in one state, should it be in other states? So can you talk a little bit about why you think you had such trouble, why the states don't seem to be keeping very good track of the data on this and, you know, how, how we can, you know, think about this problem going forward? Well, you know, you talked about recently. I actually have hopes. I have hopes for the most recent because Missouri, they were very helpful, but they had only it had only existed for like two or three months. And they told me how many how many you know cases they had. And they told me what happened to each of these cases. So I have and I encouraged them, please, please, please. Here's the data that I would like to see. So I have high hopes for the most recent state um, because they all seem to be enthusiastic about it. And it was a bipartisan thing. And, you know, so I'm hoping. But I think I just get the feeling for all the other states that the people who are running uh, running the department, the, the child welfare agencies, are either like, 
ideologically opposed to the program or hardly even aware it exists because it was 20 years ago that and it came from another administration and it just kind of going and it's just not something it's not something they're interested in or in fact it might be something that they would rather not remember they have or they might be thinking of getting rid of it and you know I know that I talked about Michigan um, in Michigan they had a child protective services director who was very passionate about it and he did almost 10 years ago, very detailed audits of how how it was implemented. And he found that there were a lot of flaws in the implementation, but nobody's been, you know, he hasn't been in that job for a while and nobody there and nobody's really interested in just in in, um, looking at it right now. And I do have a feeling that in some of these states that there's really a, you know, as I say, either a either a lack of interest or something more, you know, more than a lack of interest, but a real um, wish that this program would just go away. Um, so that's just my guess. Can you talk about that? What would be the ideological opposition? And is it related to race? Like, what, what, why would someone be opposed? Well, I think it is completely related to, well, it's, it's, it's related to what you just said about the civil liberties. And it's also related to the current conversation around race, for sure. There's this whole conversation now in child welfare. There's a whole organization called Upend, and there are several others, too, that are dedicated. They say child welfare and child protective services like and we want to abolish it. So obviously, if we're going to abolish it, we would certainly abolish birth match. But it's the idea of policing. I mean, it clearly just doesn't fit in with that perspective. And again, just sure. clear, clearly birth matching isn't targeting race. Exactly. It's just that it's just that the number of cases or the cases that are identified may be just disproportionately Black kids or, or or kids, I'm presuming, right? It's it's not exactly the because, targeting, right? Exactly on. because child welfare disproportionately. We know that black families are disproportionately involved in child welfare, which research suggests that it's mostly due to poverty, and I think it's also due to inheritance of trauma and intergenerational. Well, also single parent families and single parent families and all that stuff. And I doubt there's, of course, a large group of activists who say it's due to racism in the system when they're looking at families. And maybe there's some of that. Uh, to You know, I don't think that's the main thing, but it certainly can be there in some cases. So for all those reasons, people are saying this is going to be picking up a disproportionate number of particularly black families or native, you know, indigenous families as well. But if you start with the premise that the reason the birth matching is occurring is that one of the two parents either had their rights terminated or some kind of abuse, it's almost irrelevant what the reason might be that that occurred. Right. Where our concern is the child that's just been born. Right. Well, I would love it if you read my blog, because that's just the whole message of my blog. And, you know, that it's the child we should worry about. And if we start worrying about all these things and, you know, I've said in in regard to other issues like the issue of when these racial activists start talking about disproportionality or disparity and they never go out and say, OK, we need to rectify the disparities. But I always say, but we know there's the disparity. We see that black families and indigenous families have um, more child maltreatment. So if you wanted to just artificially 
eliminate the disparities and say, we're only going to, you know, we're only going to take 10% of the cases, no matter for each race, then you would have to leave black kids in more unsafe. You would have to have a, a lower bar for black parents. Yeah. You have to put up with being abused more. So to me, it's kind of backwards. It's like, okay, so these folks are discriminating against black children. They want them to, they say it's okay for black children to suffer more. So that's, that's where I have a problem. Yeah. Well, one thing I, so, so we mentioned before, this is a kind of state by state issue and typically child welfare is, but the things like, you know, the sex abuse registry is, is a, is national. I mean, there's a, and there, there is some kind of federal involvement in things like that. Do you think that there, there should be a kind of federal birth match, especially given how easy it is, you know, for a parent say who has had serious child welfare involvement, or even, you know, been involved in a child fatality in one state to then go give birth in another state. And we wouldn't have the first idea of, of anything about their history. Well, I think we'd have to have a federal registry first, and that's already hugely controversial. You know, Mm -hmm. that was in there was like a pilot study for it in the um, CAPTA, the Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act, one of the reauthorizations. And that sort of came out with a very negative result. And the last I heard, you know, it wasn't practical or whatever. I suppose it would work if we had a federal data, if we had a federal registry, then I guess that could happen at least, but it wouldn't work with the courts. I mean, it's all complicated, right? I, in an ideal world, yes, um, but it's, I don't know how practical it is. Yeah. yeah. The the other point that I, I think is important to, to sort of make here about birth match is that these, I mean, I know this seems very obvious, but infants are the most vulnerable. vulnerable. So, you know, right. if you, if you have had, you know, a history of serious child abuse before, and, you know, if it involved your five-year-old, your 10-year-old or whatever, I mean, as anyone who's raised a child knows, there's not a great deal of room for error when you're talking about a newborn. And so that I think, you know, is, is another reason to kind of think about at least have some kind of check-in to see if this parent is really capable of taking, you know, who, who this parent who has this very worrisome history is capable and, and is going to be able to protect this infant, you know, going home now. That's right. And, and, you know, this is often portrayed as a way to get help for this, but maybe this parent really does want to do a good job this time. Right. You know, right. that was exactly, um, it was interesting in Missouri, it was bipartisan and the Republican um, sponsor was all about she she was all about this is um prevention this is helping these parents you know and it's a and we're, everybody's excited about prevention now so this is really prevention in i think three of the states at least birth match was adopted because of one or more cases where a child was killed by a parent that had already killed or lost rights to another child. So in those three states, that that was why, that was the impetus. Although actually in Maryland, it happened a few times until it was passed. So each time this, it started a, a movement, but it took a while. Is there a particular political side? Do you find that these are generally supported by partisan? Is this, is this something that actually could bring people together under the aegis of prevention? I would think so. The latest to do it was done by a Republican legislature. Um, Texas before that was a Republican legislature. The first three were, I don't think it should be partisan. It should be something. But I also see that there'll be opponents on both sides, too. So it's it's kind of, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The, the states that have it, it's not 
it's not obviously red states or blue states that that seem to have adopted it. So it seems like there is potential here to kind of work across party lines to get these kind of things passed. All right. Well, thanks so much, Marie, for joining us. I would encourage everybody to read the full report. It's called Learning from the Past, Using Child Welfare Data to Protect Infants Through Birth Match Policies. It is very detailed and and a really just important contribution to understanding one of the, I think, little known policies out there uh, that involve child welfare. So Thanks again, Marie. This has been another episode of Are You Kidding Me? You can get our podcasts uh, at the AEI podcast channel or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley. And I'm Ian Rowe. And Marie, thank you so much. I think this is a fascinating intervention that should be debated more as to whether or not this should become a key lever for how we prevent abuse, especially with parents who you say might actually be interested to know that they don't have to go down the same path they've gone before. Right, right, exactly. Yes, well, it was great talking. Well, thank you, Marie.